My name is Dan Scully, and I am always here for any references to Tone Loke, star of Surf Ninjas and um, uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights. Love me some Tone Loke. Uh, yeah, hey, what's up, man? How are you? Uh, I'm, I'm all right. It's been a hell of a week. It's just it's been a wild week, man. But um, Have you been uh, eating leftovers today? It's, it's Black Friday. I've already yes. had some leftovers. I've got a little bit of the turkey sleepies on. I had, um, so we did the tofurkey thing, oh, sure. um, and, uh, so I had a little bit of that, some green bean casserole, some cornbread stuffing, mm. yeah. had a little bit of pumpkin pie. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going ham right now. Yeah. It's pretty good. Me too. Yeah. Tori went all out and made uh, just a whole Thanksgiving dinner for us. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I, I did my best as the, as the cook of the house. I did my best. <laughs> I think I did some, uh, I did pretty well. It was nice. good. We What's had, we had a Thanksgiving. What's up? How was the tofurkey? Oh, it's good, man. I tofurkey is actually like I, I like turkey, but I'm not the biggest like I, I I like a turkey sandwich more than I ever like just like eating turkey. And um, you know, so like I'm not gonna cook a whole turkey as the one meat eater in the house who is you know <laughs> only gonna eat a little bit of turkey. But like tofurkeys are good. Okay. And as someone who has had a history going in and out of whether I do or don't eat animal products, I've got a. There's like a list of of products that, even if I'm not trying to replace meat, are just good in their own right. And uh, a lot of veggie burgers are just good in their own right, but yeah. like a tofurkey is good in its own right. They're pretty tasty. Yeah, and like that's also like good for the environment when you are choosing to like eat those things yeah. instead of meat and stuff. So yeah, that's great. It was it was good. Uh, just can't be home because you know COVID's still raging, and so let's just cook a bunch of shit and and just get all get all filled up with some food. It was great. Yeah, same. I know it was nice. It was a nice day. We watched. Um, I usually end up watching Star a Star Wars movie on uh, Thanksgiving, like in years past, nice. like at my aunt's or whatever. I feel like TBS is always running like one of the original trilogy movies. Yeah, yeah. so I'm, they are kind of Thanksgivingy. Those original three. It's weird. I don't think I, I could put my finger on it, but I, I, I feel like, yeah, they are kind of Thanksgiving-y. That's like the season in which I, I mean, they also tend to come out around Christmas and stuff, like when they do the new releases, you know, but yeah, so like they, they feel like holiday movies to me. So anyway, so we went last night and uh, boy, did I love it all over again. The Last Jedi. Okay. <laughs> I've lost count. That's my favorite one. I, yeah. I, I keep thinking back. I think it's the best Star Wars. It just, it just hits me. I mean, the other thing is like, you know, watching it now and maybe a little more divorced from the Star I don't know, watching it as a movie that I'm trying to enjoy. Mm. It just it's got the best performances of any Star Wars thing that exists in any medium across all time. You know, like yep. there's been tons of Star Wars stuff and none of it has ever been performance wise as good as that movie. It uses all of the tech in new fun ways. Yeah. It opens up the mythology in ways that that you'll get an asshole who disagrees, but like I think are very true yeah. to the core tenets of Star Wars and fit yeah. the mythology. 
Um, yeah, I, I just and it's also like if I went into it having no knowledge of Star Wars, it's so minimal on excessive fan service yeah. that I would just if I was completely blind, I could still enjoy that movie as a bang up, you know, kick ass blockbuster. I, I agree. I think it works because, you know, I mean, to, this is something that I just really enjoy about it in particular. I don't know if this is necessarily like a mark of quality or anything, but it really feels like an old samurai movie to me. Yeah. And I think that's oh, yeah. kind of why it would work in a vacuum. Like, you don't need to know the history of Luke Skywalker. He functions as, like, a stereotypical, the old master that refuses the students. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I mean? It's just like he works. Yeah, it's the perfect iconography. We know the bad guy wears the black cape. Yes. You know, the good guy wears the hood and is the samurai. Yeah, it totally works like that. Yeah. Uh, I And, man, I just loved it, uh, watching it again. I mean, I have loved that movie uh, pretty much every time I've seen it. But I really just really appreciated it last night. Uh, uh, just loved it. The um, Steve sent me a video where somebody took the throne room lightsaber battle. Yeah, which delivers on uh, delivers on one of the things that I've always wanted to see with a uh, in, with Star Wars tech, which is where you activate a lightsaber into somebody. Yes, it seems so obvious, and yes. it just never happens. And he gives that like into the guy's head. Ooh, good stuff. But uh, that video, Steve sent me a video of that scene uh, choreographed almost perfectly to the I've had the time of my life. And the way that it's structured does almost fit the like, he starts warming up, she starts warming up, they <laughs> each get a verse, and then boom, you know, this could be love. And then they start kicking everybody's ass. And it's amazing how well that works. And it's funny, but it's also it speaks to like the choreography of that scene is like he has created a rhythmic experience for you to go with. And that movie's just full of that. It's, oh, it's so cool. There was a thread on Twitter like shortly after that movie came out in theaters that I have searched for since and it's hard to find. That was just people posting that fight, those 30 seconds over and over and over again, but set to different pop songs. And it probably matches almost it works all of them. every time. You, you could put amazing. any pop song over it because exactly what you're saying, it has such an inherent rhythm to it. Like the images have such a sort of specific rhythm and the editing that it just like it works every time, no matter what it is. If, That's it's so cool. Great. He knows. Yeah. It's he great. knows the formula. He knows how to entertain. Yeah. Lo- loved it. Uh, dude, My Thanksgiving also... movie was Blood Rage. <laughs> just because everyone was talking about Blood Rage. Yep. And how did you, you watch it? that? Oh, yeah. Uh, it, it was pretty nuts. I mean, you know, yeah. it's silly. I think that it's paced like terribly. Yeah. But um, I had so much fun watching it, and just the the that concept is is so great. It's so the fun. Premise is bananas. Bana- and then having Louise Lasser dressed up like a glass doll, yeah. and just like her her voice that makes it sound like she just eats cigars. <laughs> it's like oh my god, the, and she's it, it was just bonkers. Yeah. It's a that's a, a nuts movie that is pretty fun. Did the guy that she was like, we're getting married, who was also like the head doctor at that place. Did the actor who played him switch? I don't know. I don't remember because when when the the evil twin, <laughs> the evil twin goes to kill him in his desk. I was like, I don't recognize this guy. <laughs> and I think I'm supposed to know him. And then I ran it back. And when the they make the announcement, like we're tying the knot. I was like, I still don't like I think that these are supposed to be the same guy and they look like different dudes. But that is the type of movie that would probably, you know, like some guy just they fired him and we're like, "Eh, it's too deep. 
I love the actual premise of that movie. Like when they really dig into the idea of like what's actually happening, where like when he figures out that his brother got out, he's just gonna use it as an excuse to like to commit kill some more, more. murders. It's and they're like, like, what causes him to snap? And it's like, nothing. He's just waiting for your opportunity. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's totally wild. And like, uh, yeah, I just, that movie is crazy in a really fun way and is a great Thanksgiving. I mean, it's like, you know, it obviously it takes place around the holiday, but literally in like, a, you would make a good double feature with Kresha. It's like, yeah. It, oh yeah. It's about like what happens when family gets together after being apart for a long time and how you if, can't uh, contain that madness under one roof, you know? And if mom didn't uh, at the end, yeah, it could just be a Kresha prequel. Yes, yes. Kresha. Because yes. yeah, she's like very much of that type. But yeah, yep. you're right. It's like you put all that family in a household. It's just volatile. Yep, yep. This and man, goes. how tragic is that ending, too? I mean, that it's ending is legitimately so surprising and how devastating it is. Yeah. What I thought was going to happen, I legit thought that Todd was just going to be like, that's right, we got rid of Todd. I'm Terry. <laughs> and, uh, which would have been... I guess as happy an ending as that could be, sure. but to have her just be like no, <laughs> and I'm like yeah. ah, and then it just rolls the credits. Oh, it was madness. Yep. The, the the most bonkers scene is towards the beginning when she visits Todd at the mental institution, uh-huh. and the scene starts as a normal scene, and then the audio cuts out, and the entire scene is just the doctor narrating what's happening in the scene in real time. I remember this now, yeah. And at first it looked as if it was just a poor dub and it was supposed to look like she was talking. Right. And then I realized, oh no, she's narrating this scene, only this scene, and never again after this scene. Yep. And every once in a while they just bring the volume down on her narration just so we can hear the audio of him like crunching the the, the pumpkin pie. Yes. Throwing shit at the wall and being a maniac and then brings it. And then she's like, and it's clear that he was losing his mind. It's like, yeah, I don't need to. Like, it's weird. They were, we always say show, don't tell. They were doing show as well as tell. Yes. <laughs> but like in a clashy sort of way. But the whole time I'm like, I, I would just rather watch this scene than, than your narration of the scene. Because it's you're showing me the whole scene. It clearly has tons of dialogue. Yep. It was just such a strange choice, but it, it bonkers enough that I'm. It, it immediately let me know what I was about to watch. I remember that, and because I remember thinking how weird it was at the time, and then being like, "Oh, I guess maybe this is going to be like a storytelling choice." And then it's like, "Nope, it was just for that scene." Just, I think there was probably like a wonky performance, or maybe right. like in like a script edit later where they say something untrue, right? And then you know they just let's just cut that out and you know like cut the yeah. color so that they don't judge the blood you know like just a real quick fix yeah exactly um dude you know what else i rewatched this week before we get into it i rewatched uh sexy beast yo that, that movie, movie is awesome is incredible ben kingsley is a rotten fuck in that movie he's insane in that movie like really what's, really what's insane. the guy's name uh what's ray winston's name uh keep saying it over and over I know, uh, man, I can't remember, but hold on, I'll look it up while we're talking about it. it the thing about that movie <coughs> is that it's like, it's indescribably good. I yeah. don't know how to tell you what is good about it or why it's as good as it is. Because it, it's like, it is a heist movie, but the heist is like the least important part. Like it, I don't know. It's it, The it, whole movie is just the, it's just one single piece of a negotiation. If I remember correctly, it's just like, you will do this. No, I'm retired. You will do this. No, I'm retired. Right. You will do this. 
I'm retired. He will do that. That's all it is. But it's so compelling. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then I actually totally forgot like how and why the movie shifts into the final act, which is him eventually performing the heist. Yeah, I don't remember that so clearly. I do remember that he ultimately does it, but uh, yeah, I don't. I don't remember the details. Well, and I, I won't. I won't say it out loud then because it, it is like a sort of an interesting spoiler for the movie, and it's to the movie's testament that like I kind of forgot this like very major detail about the plot, and it's what makes it so interesting that the whole movie is this like rock in a hard place argument. Yeah, that ultimately does end with like him having to do the thing that he didn't want to do. I think I kind of remember. I mean, I, I, I just I don't want to say it on the air necessarily, but I, if I remember correctly, there's just more connecting them than just previous professional work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That 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 is part of it. Yeah. Okay. I guess, okay. This is weird. I just watched this. and I don't remember this. Apparently, his name is Gal. G A L. Gal. Does he have a nickname or something? Yeah, I don't know. I, I like literally just watched this. In my head, I can hear him just being like, nah, 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 yeah. you know, just like, like, uh, you know what? Just wearing him down with aggression. It but I sound... also might be thinking of the cook, the thief, his wife and her lover because of, uh, uh what's his name? Gambon constantly doing Georgie, Georgie, which well, if you one... haven't seen that do. For one thing, it might sound more like Gil in their accents. And that might be why yeah. this sounds strange to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, but for another, he says cunt all the time. Like, it, that's actually what he calls him more frequently than that's anything. True. <laughs> Man, Ray Winstone's really great in that, too. He's tremendous in it, yeah. He's such, like, a... He actually has one of my favorite moments in any movie when he kills himself in The Departed. Do you oh, remember yeah, that? Oh, God, I forgot about that, well, yeah. He crashes the car, realizes he's fucked up and is about to get arrested, and he goes, ah, fuck it, and just blows his brains out. And, like nobody plays slimy oaf like him and sexy beast is really uh really geared towards a slimy oaf yeah you know being at the center because like he's just a slimy he just wants to be fat and fat and angry all all day and drink his thing and relax next to you know he just wants to chill he's done yeah, yeah. but he's also like you can tell like this dude's a greaseball who will fucking cut your face off if, right. if you're in the way of the job yeah, man, it's He's got so a great score, that. too. Like, it, it's, mm. it's a great movie. Really, really What's good. What's that director's name? He always has great scores. Jonathan Glazer. He did on Glazer, that's it. Did you see Birth? I haven't yet. That's the one I really need to see. Birth is really good. I don't know if I'm as over the moon for it as everybody else, but it's, like, really good. Yeah. Um, just because I still haven't quite decoded the ending, but, like, most of his movies have done that for me. Actually, I'd say Sexy Beast is the only one of his movies that... The first time I was like, man, this is amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like and under the skin, more... it took two or three review, you know, viewings before I realized that I think that's a masterpiece. Right. But the first time I watched it, I was like, oh, that was neat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And Sexy Beast is a little more uh, straightforward. Uh, yeah, narrative. yeah, yeah. Uh, Birth is kind of a I know the describable story. Movie. Yeah, yeah. There's nothing to compare it to. It's like sex. It's like we've got we've got a. a a wealth of just like mob and English mob ideas in our head that this just, you know, doesn't rely on us having, but benefits from us having. Right. But like, yeah, under the skin, it's like, oh, I don't know what to, <laughs> what to do with that. That's yeah. new. The, uh, the other thing that was interesting about Sexy Beast is that like, I honestly didn't even remember that there was, that they ultimately did perform the heist. Like, yeah, I, that's what's not clicking with me now. Yeah. 
I kind of forgot that they do all that's like a significant portion of the movies that they do perform the heist. And it's not even like it's an uninteresting heist. It's actually like a really cool, like visual interesting. They to drill through a really thick wall of a public pool in order to get into a safe. I kind of okay. Yeah, it's coming back to me. It's like it's pretty neat. It's like a, it's a lot of good visuals. Also, it's like he's obviously fascinated by water and what things look like underwater. There's a mm. lot of stuff in the movie that feels like precursors to what he's ultimately going to do in Under the Skin. Um, His uh, the the one image that sticks with me from Sexy Beast is just Ray Winstone's awful gut as he swims. Yep, I can see it. He's yep. swimming the way that like a Bond credit silhouette would swim, but he's just an oaf. Yeah, actually, <laughs> so I'm loving that word. You know, it was somewhat uh, difficult about this watch is, do you know who he looks like in this movie? Like a lot, actually, especially when you see him in profile and he's just like, there are scenes where like, by the way, he's just like red, like a lobster. Cause he just sits out in the sun all the time. You yeah, know what yeah. I mean? And like, there's all these shots where he just like, slowly peels himself off of the deck chair that he's in and you just see his like big gut flop over his thighs and stuff he looks like fucking trump he's got like the same hair he's got the same weird frumpy body like it it was really weird the whole time i was watching it how much he did like kind of just very visually remind me of trump and then also like kind of as a guy he's just like this kind of sleazy yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, that was actually something and it's amazing. This is probably going to start happening. That was something that uh, when I was watching Leap of Faith, that William Friedkin documentary, which is quite good, but it's him talking and he has a cadence and a speech pattern and sometimes like occasionally a a way about his voice that's very Trumpian. Oh, boy. Now, if I were to guess, I can't imagine Friedkin would get along with Trump or he'd be his most ardent supporter. I don't know. Um (laughs) It's hard to tell when you get above, yeah. like, 60. And uh, there was a couple times where I was like, oh, the way he said that just sounded like Trump. And it's it upset me because I was like, that's really fucked up that he's got real estate in my brain so much that it's like, ah, don't even remind me. I know. It really – and I was like, I love this movie. I don't even want to have to, like, think about this while I'm watching this movie because it's like it's not what this movie is about. This movie is not even trying to, like – doesn't want me to do this, you know? It's like, this is yeah. not part of the experience of this movie, you know? It predates him becoming the only thing we Americans are allowed to think about. And it's not even an American... Well, I don't know. Is Jonathan Glazer an American? I don't know. I assume... No, I think he's English. Right, I think he's like a, a Scottish filmmaker or something, right? Um, hold on, I'm still on the Sexy Beast IMDb, so I'll find Oh, cool, out. cool, cool. Um... But yeah, it's like, so yeah, it's just like, that is definitely not something that... He's from London. England, yep. Boy, he's he's got a bit of a uh, Wes Anderson look to him, doesn't he? He does. Oh, wow. The picture for Sexy Beast, the cover is just amazing. Yep. Yes or yes is the slogan. (laughs) Man, I think this is one that could actually be, uh, he could actually uh, be worthy of an episode. I agree, dude. shit. Ian McShane's in that. Oh yes, and in a and great now I role. And see him. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, I need to watch this again. I I I think I've only seen it like twice ever, I would, and the last time was was much closer to when it came out. Which I would happily do an episode. Twenty years ago. Yeah, we should definitely do an episode on that. It's, it's a great movie. Nice. 
Well, let's talk about another uh, great movie, Mr. Scully. I'm glad oh, my uh, God! decided to go down this franchise path once more. And we are bringing you Damien, The Omen 2. Dude. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> this movie. I. How should I put it? I always dismissed the Omen movies growing up because I remember my sister watched them at like a sleepover with her friends, you know, mm-hmm. and it was through that same exact uh, uh, method that I was introduced to Poltergeist. Mm. And then my dad was like, oh, yes, we'll rent Poltergeist. That's a good movie. And like, so then I got to see it. Uh, but I remember I was like, oh, the Omen, that sounds familiar. And she was like, it's stupid. It's just it's got like a, a dog in it. That's not scary. It's just a dog. <laughs> And then lo and behold, you know, we were kids, so, yes. you know, not that her uh, cultural tastes have shifted too much, but um, uh, no love lost, but uh, Understood. there's, there's uh, very few Hallmark movies she hasn't loved. Uh-huh. And, um, and so, yes, yeah, so I always dismiss The Omen, and then we watched that first one, and it's like this classy, yeah. you know, classy, but like also like has that like B movie mean spiritedness to it yes. really threw me for a loop. But I was like, all right, after that, all of these sequels are probably just going to be different shades of garbage. Yes. And, uh, at two, I've already got to take those words back because this <laughs> movie was fucking incredible. Yeah. I, so the thing, I, I feel like I don't quite like this as much as you, but I have plenty of love for it. Like I'm excited to talk about it, but, but, but I well, did get, I did get the overall, I feel like my overall impression on it is that it's like, it is doing a, to its credit, it's, but also to its detriment, it's doing a very good impression of what Richard Donner was doing with the first one. Yes. It's only really doing an impression of it, but it is to its credit, like trying very hard to, with what I think was probably a much more limited budget, uh, achieve the same kind of classiness to the 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 picture i i think that's what and i agree 100 percent. i i'm almost positive that's what's happening but that's what i love so much about it so damien the omen or no damien omen 2 i think is the official title (laughs) is is it's like watching one of the and this is probably not the best comparison but you know how every uh, like spinoff of The Conjuring is just borrowing from James Wan and yep. doing their own thing with it? It's sort of like that. And I love when an energetic filmmaker uh, gets the... the we kind of already know it's not that classy sequel. So just like, just you know, make it peppy and then do what you want with it. And yep. this is an incredibly violent, yes. much more B-level in terms of how it tries to evoke its scares and what it's trying to do. Yes. And the fact that it is trying to, like, just ever so slightly dress itself up in class and prestige makes it that much more charming because it's just pretty insanity. I think I'm talking in circles, but yeah. I, no, I'm totally with you. I, I Like, I, I do think that that's, like, what... like. That's the weird thing is like this to me was like not I think especially on the heels of the omen, which I think is like a very good, well-crafted movie. Mm. This doesn't feel like it lives up to that, but it it for a movie that couldn't, it feels like right, like doesn't even seem to have the budget to be able to live up to that other movie. It is admirably like swinging for the fences and I think achieving Mm -hmm. a lot in doing that. Right. Like. I did feel like as I was watching it uh, to a certain point, like there's a scene we'll talk about where it's like, Oh God, they did go for it and they nailed it. Elevator. 
Yeah, but to a, <laughs> but but up to that point, it's a lot of like the kinds of death scenes that are in the first one, but like clearly without the budget to actually pull them off. It's a lot of yeah. trying to like evoke the horror without actually being able to show it to me. But even but I think doing that, that it gets the fear creative, different. I think. Yeah. It's more interested in showing us something fucked up viscerally. Yeah. Than it necessarily because like in I much more got like watching the omen, I much more got scared of like, oh man, there's an evil force out to get them. Yeah. That resonated more. And whereas, you know, this you know, like there's there's bigger forces at battle here, much bigger than Gregory Peck and his stupid kid. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. that's and that's scary. The second one never got me to the point where I was like, Man, these giant apocalyptic forces were at play. Right. But it much more consistently got me with, Oh man, that's gotta hurt. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what I want in because uh, like I don't think you're gonna capture the omen. Right. Uh, in a sequel so if to instead just pump up the insanity and and i would say in the midst of a story that feels like a pretty organic progression of it really does where the omen left off as a story and to use that to just serve up you know blood and guts and and grossness um you know it, it reminds me of you know what's scary about about alien is that we don't really know this thing it is alien to us and so it's creepy. Um, but what's fun about aliens is that there's aliens just coming out of every hole in the wall and they're yeah. everywhere. And they're both, you know, different kind of things. And so, you know, it's like the omen. What's scary about that is is these otherworldly forces. And then by the second one, these otherworldly unknowable forces are actually just plot devices now. <laughs> right, right, right. And, yeah. you know, the same with the alien is this unknowable force. Now it's like, oh, they're slimy creatures. Let's get some guns out. Yeah. yeah, and so I can appreciate that progression, and I would say, you know, it 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 does. I, I mean, I I really loved this movie, yeah, um, because it pulls out the stuff, because it's like shamelessly be, and in those prestige clothes, but it really does feel like a like a like a sequel to it. It does. Uh, I mean, it, it doesn't feel like like they were, like if somebody told me this, the portions of the plot were were planned when the first one was written, I'd believe them, even though it's right. probably not the case. No, I know, like, it, it is, um, you know, I do think when you think about just, like, whatever horror sequels that were made probably just to capitalize on the success of a movie. Yeah, exactly. That, that doesn't uh, usually mean a mark of any kind of quality, necessarily, you know? That's a real hit-or-miss category there. And this does feel like a pretty well-written, well-conceived, interesting sequel. It's It's not just, like you know, a, a sort of pointless setup just to get us back into, you know, uh, a couple of kill scenes. They yeah, really... they didn't just go like, Damien goes to camp and then we right. follow, you know, it's nothing like that. Right, right. Because it is, once again, about those big forces. It's just now they're, they're plot devices as opposed to dreadful, uh, you know, uh, existential threats. Well, and uh, to me, the most interesting choice in this movie, I said that we, we texted about this the other day. I think the most interesting thing in the movie, and maybe the reason the movie does end up working as well as it does for me, is that, like, it kind of takes it takes some of the story from Damien's perspective. That's not to say the movie mm -hmm. is from Damien's perspective, but it, it some of it is in the sense that, like, it takes seriously the idea that he's, like, a teenager who's going through puberty and as he's going through puberty is basically told and discovers this is true, that he is the literal spawn of Satan. 
Yeah. And like having to come to terms with the idea that he is like evil at his core. You know what I mean? And like born of pure evil, meant for evil, like meant to be used as a tool for evil, a device of e- like the idea that he has to as a teenage boy that is mostly living just a a, a quote unquote normal teenage boy existence, which is not to say and it's normal. Even a more privileged existence yes. than that. I right. mean, they're exactly. they're political royalty and yes. and. You know, he's he's got everything and, and honestly seems like a happy, well adjusted kid. Right. Although I do love that the uh that uh what's her name? Aunt whatever at the beginning. Uh-huh. He's like super polite to her, like, Oh, I wanted to say goodbye. She's like, Yeah, cause someone made you <laughs> like she hates him and then the other yep. kid's a dick. Yes. And she but because old people can sense the devil. <laughs> Well, I do. I think there's an interesting thing in the movie where they kind of imply that Damien is like a natural leader to the point yeah. of being a little bit of a bully, um, which is kind of interesting where like because he's literally the spawn of Satan, like it, it's it's clear from the first movie and then from the way they show us like what happens in this movie where there obviously there are these like minions of Satan, basically, that like sort of conspire around him to help him rise mm. in power or whatever. But then there's also just the idea that like he is the spawn of Satan. Like he has this natural ability to sort of like manipulate people into like doing his bidding, even though he doesn't even know he's doing that. It's just like, it's literally inherent. That's like how people respond to him and, and, and what he is at his core. You know, it's like, it's very interesting, I think. And I think that's something that like, you know, a lot of, a lot of teenage boys, like I, I remember later in my teens, like when I like kind of discovered confidence and yeah. how powerful it was yeah and it's essentially how stand-up comedy happened yeah yeah you know and like that's that's what you learn from the from the stage is that like you can kind of just go any direction and if you do it confidently enough people will follow right and like discovering that as a teen and as someone coming from you know a relatively privileged background and in the, in the case of damien a super privileged background yeah. that's the kind of power that can take and be reckoned with in an interesting, dramatic way, completely devoid of any supernatural influence. And like that works as a natural teenage boy story uh, in and of itself. And then to have that added factor of not only is he discovering this, but he discovers he has these abilities and that there's people looking out for like, that is, that is, that's very scary. And I think that's where the, uh, at least some shades of that weird otherworldly forces larger than us that made the first one scary. Uh, that's, that's where it sort of comes through here is in the Damien stuff. Yeah. It gets, I mean, it gets a little more like plotty maybe, but not yeah. necessarily to its detriment. I mean, that's kind of where you have to go with sequels to horror movies, I think is to mm. get a little more plotty and mythology, you know, driven. You have to, it's the only yeah. way you can't, or else you do the same thing again. Yeah. I do think it's funny that the knives are like this big part of the Omen mythology and they get set up in both movies as a big need for the finale. But like both movies end up with like, well, Damien doesn't get killed at the end anyway. So it's like they kind of become unimportant anyway. They get like reset Mm -hmm. up both. It's like very funny to me that there's like all of this like you know, uh, uh, what's the word for it? Um, I, I, I don't know, chuffa about uh, the knives that just like doesn't really, you know, <laughs> come to fruition in any meaningful way. That's something that I think we'll have to see how the next two movies, because I think there's two more. Okay. How the next two treat that, because I think the knives will eventually become the sort of thing of, all right, we got a bunch of people that believe he's got to go. Where were the knives? 
right, you know, they're going to yeah. become like an ever moving MacGuffin. Or I mean, at least that's how I would I would handle it. Right. Yeah. But yeah, it is so funny that there is all of this mythology that it's just like, nah, sorry, his Satan mafia has it all figured out right. and they're implanted everywhere. We got Paul here, who <laughs> is like Bobo Tim Robbins, who's got it all handled. The um, but like that's another thing too that I think is a lot of fun to think about in terms of uh, you know, it does show how even sans any supernaturalia, connections are what makes the world go round. Yeah, yeah. Connections right. are what elevate people in social castes. Is who you know, what you do with those connections, what can you do for one another, yeah. and the idea that like, yeah, sure, he's got this otherworldly ability to convince people and move people and be the son of Satan. It's also anywhere he finds himself, there's like one to three sleeper agents of Satan that are right. just there to like smooth the edges for him. And that, that's a really fun concept that uh, I don't know. I, I think could probably be, you know, extrapolated in a, in a contemporary privilege conversation, you know, um, it, it's, it's just a really fascinating angle that I was not expecting from the Damien Omen too. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think uh, I, I, the first movie to me did have some very interesting things to say about like class and stuff that I didn't think yeah. this movie had like as much on its mind about, and is maybe a little why I'm like oh, a little more hesitant. Once again, it becomes a, a plot device as opposed yeah. to a story device. But what I, it is just a plot device. Yeah. Ex- yeah. And to your point though, what I, what I do like about that plot device that is like, so kind of like exciting from a storytelling perspective and I sort of hope one of the later sequels does more with, and if not, like, this is what you do if you're going to make another Omen movie at some point. Make it about this. I like that this movie has, like, a sort of... You don't even always know who the the Satan agents are. Like, yeah, there yeah. are certain characters where suddenly you're like, oh, shit, you're actually, like, you've been arranging some of these things to happen. Like, you, mm-hmm. like... Some characters weren't a surprise. Some characters, I like totally got it right away. I was like, "Oh, you're one of the." Like, I was kind of thrown by the final surprise. Yeah, that really got me. Yes, the reveal I, on on mom. Yes, I think that's really cool. That's, yeah, and that's like that's exciting to me. You could do a whole like I don't know like Mission Impossible movie basically about like the way there are different characters that like kind of reveal themselves to be like of different allegiances than you thought. You know, I wonder if that's something. Because I, I would be interested in watching that Damien show that was out for like a season or two. Mm-hmm. I bet that there's a twist somewhere in that series where a beloved character is just like Damien. I'm I'm wanting, I'm I'm with you. you yeah, know, like yeah, that's 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 it's got to happen. It's got to be because that that I think is actually the most interesting part of that kind of plot device is that it allows for some really fun kind of tricky mystery storytelling. You know. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I um yeah that's that's fun and and once again that like does tickle my fear thing a little bit where it's just like damn like yeah that's true the enemy is kind of in, in plain sight yep. you know you just don't know yep. and uh you know and that that can be that can be layered over quite literally any thematic concern really yeah um I wanted to mention in my notes that I actually stopped the movie uh, after that first scene where the guys get the whole thing caving in on them. Yeah. Cause that is a nightmare. Dude. And yes. that bugged me out so hard. And I felt so bad for the more proper professor. Who's just like, Oh, I have a reputation. I'm not. And he's like, you have to come see the wall with me, dude. 
He's like, okay, fine. I'll probably lose my job over this. And it's like, nah, bro, you're actually about to die in the worst way that anyone could ever die. And it's going to be slow and painful and take likely days. Oh, I bugged out so hard. They drown in sand. Because I don't even like touching sand, let alone being killed by it and inhaling it. Uh, But what an incredible way to depict that, where that guy gets taken out and he's getting covered in sand while Knife Boy is just yelling crazy prayers and I will take you. The goodness will win, Satan. That is some, as soon as that was happening, I'm like, I think I'm already like all in on this movie. It's going to take a lot to fuck this up for me because I was legit freak. But once again, I wasn't scared that Satan was killing them. That wasn't a concern. It was just physically traumatic in a way that upset me. And that's really where this movie succeeded across the board. That was the thing where, like, so I, it's funny because I had a little bit the opposite experience with that, but also the same experience because that is actually a terrifying idea. It's like, that is a very scary concept that was like frightening to watch, but it is devoid of like the actual dread that like comes with the first movie. Yeah. And, and so what it feels like, and I do think this is an interesting, this is a fun kind of interesting thing to talk about. I'm sure we're not the first people to, to, to say this or talk about this, but like, it feels like a final destination movie. Like, yeah, it it, it it feels like it, it does that thing where it's taking both the right and wrong lessons from the first movie. It's like looking at the first movie and going like, actually, the cool thing about this movie is like the roller coaster kills. Yeah. And, yeah. and it and basically uses the idea of the Damien stuff to fuel these sort of like roller coaster kills. Yeah. Um, which are very scary and really well executed. Pretty much. Every Tons time. of fun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yep. but you lose you lose the non-novelty elements. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah, a little bit, and that's that's the thing. My love for this movie is that I was so shocked that yes. that it went this hard into novelty. Yes, you know, I like, I didn't come out of it as fearful as the first one, but I did yeah. come out of it like just like making sure my fingers were attached and then I agree. wiggling my jaw and touching my belly to make sure I'm connected. It is appreciably like very fun. Especially it's in that so regard, dude. I to me, because then the the I think it's the next kill is the ice is stuck under the ice. That's horrifying, and another yes. one that doesn't quite work that way because, as I understand it, rivers don't freeze that way and lakes don't have currents. So right. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> right. Um, but uh, at the same time, horrifying. Yes. That's a terrifying, long, drawn out death. Yep. And ooh. Very upsetting stuff. Yep. And the the way that they make it so tactile, where we, we see it from his perspective under the ice, their perspective where they, ca- they can't find a tool to break the ice. Then they yep. find it, and they can't anticipate where he's going enough. Yep. Uh, and then finally he gets out, and he's hanging onto that tree. And you're like, oh, good, good, good. And then he's sucked under again. <laughs> yeah. Oh, nightmare. Yep. It was, uh, and, you know, again, these are like two pretty impressive, pretty fun kills that are obviously having they are obviously decisions made of like we don't have a lot of money to do this like we can't do the woman jumping off of the beautiful set like we did in the first movie that's just like not a thing that we're going to be able to achieve we already spent all our money on the screen behind the elevator windows elevator drops yep which also that long drawn out fall really terrifying totally yeah and then of course the the slice dude the slice is like and, you know, it's like it kind of makes sense to me that, like, after the slice of the first movie, they were like, I mean, we've got to at least make sure we one up that. Yeah. Like the first Devil movie has, the slice. Yeah. The first one's got that slice that is like pretty much the memorable thing from that. You know what I mean? Like, if you're yeah. talking about the one thing from the movie, it's like, it's the slice. It's so the it's slice. Like, we got to make sure we get the slice in there. How much money are you giving us to make this movie? $50,000? 45 goes to the slice. 
Like, yeah, you know? with we and and money well spent because yeah. that was one too where when it fell, I like couldn't wait for it to hit just to see how they were going to depict him splatting. Yeah. And then when he was okay, I was like, oh okay, that's that's interesting. Yep. Uh, maybe maybe death failed. This. Oh, they're cutting him in half with the counterweights. <laughs> yeah. And and his guts go flying out. Crazy. The, the the cable itself is like half on fire from the electricity. Yep. The whole thing was beautiful. I had but what al- I loved about Oh, no, go ahead. I had already resigned myself to like All right, I see what this movie is. It's the it's the cheap knockoff omen. It's yeah. like it's doing what it can with what it has and all the kills are going to be people in a cheap box drowning in some way just in like different you know variations of that sand under the ice and then that motherfucker got cut the fucking half and his guts flew everywhere and i was like me and tori were both like oh jesus christ it was insane and his his arms are going and he like kind of grabs at his guts and he was like a character that was you know just a real quick in and out character but who i immediately genuinely liked yes he was like a good doctor and i i love that uh any amount of of sleeper agents, and this is two movies now. Any amount of like sleeper agents or, or otherworldly forces protecting Damien. The one yes. thing he can't escape that always gets him is the fact that his mom's a jackal. Yes, <laughs> that's the one thing that it's like we can't fudge that paperwork, man. Like yes. that is just you have to run fast enough that that jackal DNA doesn't catch up with you. <laughs> I do. I know. I mean, I, I love the, uh, you know, these movies do have like a few sort of like moments of heightened ridiculousness that I like where it's like the doctor looking in the microscope at like the DNA or whatever and being like, I, I, I don't I can't. There's no way to explain. That's jackal DNA. I don't know what to do with this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, you know, though, that was a, his natural reaction was like, well, I'm going to run this downstairs for some more tests. <laughs> and the elevator was like, hey, we're going downstairs. Yeah, we're going right downstairs. Yeah, I love that. I do think that there's uh, and, and I think across the board in this movie, the performances were like a rate. Yeah, they are. Good I guys. enjoyed everybody. I thought yeah, like, the, the, the uncle was so good and he had to follow that same Gregory Peck path mm-hmm. of going from this is ridiculous this is magic is not real shut up mm-hmm. to i have to i'm gonna have to kill this kid because i'm the only person who understands mm-hmm. and that is a tough thing to do and i love that in this movie so many people were literally just yelling to him like well if he's not supposed to die how come your brother tried to kill him right <laughs> you yeah. know like and, but, and so i like that that uh they still managed to to get a good arc on that despite being very hammy about it I mean, I do think that the funniest aspect of both of these movies is that now, by the way, I don't have a good way to explain to someone, hey, that kid is actually the son of the devil. Like, I don't have a good way to present that information to, like, his loved ones. I don't have a good answer for this, but I can tell you that the way to not do it is to approach them while already screaming about how they have to (laughs) repent their sins. You know what I yeah, mean? Like, that's a bad opener. That is not the way to convince them that this is what's happening. That's all that those hardcore religious people know, though. Yeah. Like, if I bounce enough and I scream and I say all the buzzwords, they'll, they'll kill a kid. That is, I couldn't believe that this movie doubled down on that. The sequel was like, you know what? We will make sure that no one in this society learns how to present this information. Like, everyone yeah. sounds like a maniac while trying to do this. 
I do like the idea, though, as well, of these people being so scared where it's like, like they're that level of fear that, that, that the first movie got me that the second one didn't quite get to me. They're at the level of yeah. fear of like, it does not matter. The laws of man are out the window right, right. now because the son of Satan exists. Yeah. Right, right. And like, and you know, it's funny, though, if uh, I know like the, the way to prove it is to show them that painting, that it's clearly Damien. Yeah, yeah. I still would look at that and I'd be like, yeah, I mean, it's close. Dude, uh, that that to me was, I know we just talked about how it's like, oh, this movie actually finds a nice, like, progression from the first one where it doesn't feel like it's like they found an excuse to make a movie. But in one particular sense, it does hinge on this plot point of like, see, look at this painting. <laughs> it it's, looks a lot like him. It's clearly that boy. And it's like, that <laughs> doesn't feel like hard evidence to me. That's the best you got for this whole plot to be hung upon. That's the um the Mulaney bit about like uh, you mean if you saw Hitler in the street you wouldn't just kill him and he's like I mean yeah like I I wouldn't just kill some really old man who kind of looks like Hitler right yeah <laughs> and it's true it's like you're gonna have to kill your kid why look at this painting it's like oh that's a coincidence and then, yeah. and one that's like not as compelling as you seem to think. Uh, yeah. And I mean, also it's not even to, to, even as just a viewer of the movie, it doesn't look enough like that actor in the first place for me to be like, Oh, I see it. Yeah. You know, I, I even have to be a little bit like, I guess I see it. I mean, I see it because you're telling me that's what these characters, <laughs> that that's see. what they're supposed to see. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but I, I mean, when I say that it feels like a natural progression, it feels like a natural progression oh. in terms of like, you know, that this is the angle where the plot is going is that we are now going to watch the fallout as his just inevitable ascendancy continues to occur totally due to agree. all these factors. You know, didn't like that's where it's natural. I didn't mean to dismiss yeah. your point about no, that. No, no, no. I didn't feel like it was dismissed yeah. at all, but I just like to like clarify because I think yes. you're right. Like this is hammy. But yeah. what I'm loving about this movie is that like just give me that ham. Oh, because yeah. I, I don't need another super scary omen, but I'm I could take as many Rube Goldbergian violent deaths. <laughs> As you uh -huh. could possibly provide me, uh, we had a fully on fire. Uh, was that sure a lady did. at the end? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm all in. Yeah, there was. Oh wait, I have a, a note that I I'm wanted to you. say, and I just well, lost my train of thought. Uh, I do. Um, man, I had a thought too. Uh, oh, I do. The, oh, go ahead. The the rules of how the devil's killing works are amazing. Yep. Okay, because in the in the first one, it just seems that there's a general resistance to anybody trying to stop Damien. Right. And that's why, you know, uh, Baxter Stockman gets his head cut off and, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. But it's also suggested too, that there are people who, uh, either work for Satan or are like possessed in such a way, such as the maid hanging herself and things like that. And, uh, all of this is like, uh, <laughs> foretold by the presence of this dog. Yeah. Right. So now in two, same sort of thing, um, death's ability to kill people via convenient accidents uh, seems a little bit more supernatural mm -hmm. than just accidents falling into place. And this time it's a, it's a crow or a raven right. that uh, for the first couple deaths shows up and you go, oh, shit's about to go down because the crow's here. Mm -hmm. And then midway through the movie, the crow's just like, fuck this bitch in particular <laughs> and just stops being a foreboding crow. It gouges this lady's eyes out so she can get run over by a big rig truck that somehow yep. launches her above it. And then yep. amazing dummy work. That was and then incredible. the crow is never seen again. Yep. 
And but also too, Damien can sort of will these things to happen a right, little yeah. bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, like he can make you have. He can like scanners you. He can he can do a scan. It, I and, and I, I kind of got this impression from the first one as well. Tell me if this tracks to you. I kind of get the impression that even when we're just seeing the dog or the crow, and then a death happens, I do. Th- I I take it as it is Damien that is making every death happen, but I don't know that Damien is like actively making those things happen. If that makes sense in this, I movie, think it's like a protective force that that sort of he's the gravity of. Yeah, right. That causes resistance to anything. Yeah, come at so like the same way that in Final Destination, death is trying to clean up the mess. Right. This the trigger is not someone's death being prevented. The trigger is somebody cluing into the idea of, of Damien's true nature. Right. Yeah. I, I think you're right. And I think we're actually kind of saying the same thing. Cause I think what yeah. this movie is kind of about is that like, as he's getting older and comes to understand who he is, he can harness that. Like that is like yeah. a power that he has and can use. And he's kind of been doing it his whole life, but not necessarily with like intent. It's just sort of like you said, it's like a protective force. It's like yeah. just a thing that's happening. And now and it, that like he, shifts with his emotions and stuff. Right. And now that he's like aware of it, he can almost kind of like mold it to his will in, in some way. In the first one, though, didn't he directly throw the mom off of the second I story? Think so, right? Yeah, if I remember correctly. But it's the kind of thing that I don't know if he necessarily like threw her, but right. he like used the will thing. And he does right. have the creepy moment at the end of the funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but even so, kids are weird. So like yes. we can the sequel we can move beyond that he's appears to be more well-adjusted, yeah. but it's definitely more explicit that he can use his powers. Cause he like scans his brother. Right. He does it to the bully to make him, you know, pass out where he can't breathe. Yeah. So like, and that like now he's starting to, those like show that he's understanding he can do yeah. this. And do you, I don't know if I even have a good answer to this. Do you get the impression that like the minions have any kind of power or are they, or are they really just humans that are working for Satan? I think they're humans that are working for Satan, and I think that there's probably a mix of people that are just opportunists that are greedy and evil, like Paul. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Paul doesn't just want that business because he wants Damien to inherit it. Right. Paul wants that business because he wants the the glory of making that deal. Like he's, yeah, yeah, he's yeah. a sinner deep down. Right. But I also think like there's like Damien's maid in the first movie that hangs mm-hmm. herself. I think she might have just been possessed. Right. Okay, because yeah. you'll remember a new maid was installed yeah. later mysteriously who mm-hmm. seemed to be more of a Paul. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and so I think that it's like a little mix of both. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. I, I think we should also talk too that, uh, Paul and Bill there, at least before Bill bites it in the ice for the first half of the movie, Paul and Bill just are constantly litigating what is essentially the Monsanto conversation. Yeah, that that is yes, that's right. Which is fascinating because that's a really tough question is I would never ever accuse Monsanto of doing something ethical or in the name of ethics. Right. Um but the fact of the matter is Monsanto's existence has stopped so much starvation. Mm-hmm. Like unbelievable amounts, but the trade-off is one that is not necessarily even, and their intentions are profits, not people. And so I love that, that, uh, like Paul is constantly going, he was like, yes, yes, yes. Famine is an untapped market. But if anyone asks, just remember, we are feeding people, right? That's why we're there. And it's so funny because that is exactly how I view Monsanto is like, yeah, the defense is they are feeding a lot of people, but that's not why they're there. 
Right. That's, and what, I, that's what protects them. And so then I love Bill being like Bill being the guy who's like, yes, it's good business. Yes, you do feed people, but the ethics here are wonky. It's just right, not what we're right. doing. And like I love that conversation. And this movie essentially ties the capitalist to Satan. <laughs> It's great, well, which is fucking wild. It's awesome, and I, I actually there is a, a piece of you know a lot of the the sort of Christian mythology of these movies is just like total hokum, you know, it's just yeah, like stuff yeah. that we get up for these movies. What I really like about that is like for one thing, I love that they just he straight up says like we're we deal in famine, like that's yeah. what we're trying to get in the business of is in the business of famine is in the idea of capitalizing on famine, which is like such a crazy even way to say that you know what i mean mm. uh, yet it's the truest way to say it yes because yes. like monsanto they entered their business trying to capitalize on famine yep but we can't say too much because you know a lot of hungry people got some got a belly full of corn syrup right but i also love the idea that uh the a thing that is from christian mythology is the idea of like there are these things that are meant to happen when Satan returns, there are these things that the book of revelation says will occur. And famine is meant to be one of the signs of Satan's like, oh, you know, yeah. rule on, uh, you know, rule on earth. And so I like the idea that it's like, that is what they're doing. They're setting up a corporation that literally deals in the sort of, you know, the, the signs of, of the coming yeah. of Satan, you know, like it, he's like, we're going to sell locusts. Yeah, Swarms right. of them. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a- yeah. That yeah, that's such a cool thing, and that's that's another element that I think feels like a natural progression of this. Yeah. Because I like the idea of, I think it's I mean as as far as I understand it, I do believe Damien gets heavily into politics. Right. And yeah. so to have this seed planted and genetically modified, to have this <laughs> seed this seed planted, uh, is, is so, and and to have thematic weight attached to that seed gives me hope for the next one too, mm-hmm. because at least it'll be in the whoever does the next one of like, yeah, he's getting into politics and he's tied to this company that is monetizing famine, you know, but he can wear the face of an altruistic. I feed the hunger. That is so cool. Uh, What a smart way to, it can end here and it can lead to a sequel. I great script idea. I do think as far as like that part of the writing, like this is kind of an, um, uh, I was going to say ingenious, but that's probably too heavy a word, but like, this is a pretty brilliant sequel in that way. Right. It actually does add a, a decent amount of pieces to the mythology that are interesting and make sense from what came in the first movie. And, and it are, doesn't undercut the first movie, right? And they and and they they themselves are sort of springboard ideas that work and function very well within this movie. And this movie has its own nice resolution that doesn't need those springboard ideas to actually like amount to anything. But those ideas are springboard ideas that you can then, you know, tell more story off of. Basically, mm-hmm. like it's pretty. It, 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 I don't know. It's, just, it's a very smart script in that way. It's smartly written. It's it. It's it has the thing that I love about most B movie scripts is like what is what is like the goal of uh, Assault on Precinct Thirteen. I think above anything else, the goal of that script is to be as perfectly functional as possible. Right. Yeah. You know, like that is something that it was like, we have to make this functional and the goal is this. And then they go back and go, okay, uh, blood oath. Boom. We got that function out of, you know, like, and it's, it's a smart way to do it. And so I think that was what they were doing here was like, we want a chain of deaths. We want to make sure that we pick up the, and like, so it has that B movie, uh, uh, energy of like function first. And then we'll just get a peppy director to, to gussy up these deaths and do stuff like that. And I I think it shows it's, it's a plainly functional script whether it matches the quality of the first is almost irrelevant. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Uh, and I did, this was like one of those movies where I actually had trouble like rating it because I like I thought it was like a fine movie, but I had a lot of fun watching it. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because um, it just it, uh, and especially in that uh, Final Destination sense, it's just like it's a pretty fun, like you said, like functional, you know, fun movie. I have another note. Oh, the music. We talked about how much we like this score. Goldsmith, baby. Yeah. He's killer. It does feel a little bit like he's like, what is, what are we doing? Another omen? What did I do the first time? A little bit of this? That? That? Yes. Okay. Oh, uh, was it a little bit of this? Oh, okay. That? Okay. All right. Like, it felt a li- not lazy, but like a little bit just like, what did I do the first time? Just, it was this? Okay. Yeah. Here, have some more of that. It follows the same pattern as the script because it's, once again, he's like, yeah, yeah we'll just do like more of the same. But um, let's up the, the the creepy kids yelling, the, you know, right. singing yeah. choral Italian, yes. yeah. and uh, and like there was so much more of that, which yeah. feels kind of chintzy, which you know matches with everything else. But I wanted to say before we lost the Monsanto thread, oh, yeah, I wrote yeah, yeah. down a line that is a line that I know was meant to be hilarious, and <laughs> it was meant to be satirical, and I think <laughs> that it's really smart when they're taking the kids through the chemical plant uh, on the the field trip before the yeah. big leak. Uh, when they enter the area where the leak is, the guy leading the the tour says this. This is a direct quote. He says, we are now about to enter a highly complex experimental area where the use of toxic chemicals, we hope, will one day feed the world's hungry. Yep. I love that. We hope the use of toxic chemicals will one day... And he delivers it in such a, like, grand old American innovation kind of way, and it is meant to be scathing and satirical. I'm sure of it. But I laughed my balls off. I guffawed at that and repeated it out loud to Tori, yeah. like because it was so funny to me that that was like how he phrased that. It's insane, but it's that level of of like corporate cluelessness that you often see, where it's like, wow, you actually don't care about the cause at all. Like, you just it's like, uh, did you see that that ad that uh, Giant Foods put out? I don't know. They put out an ad that was like, this holiday season for your spread, make it a super spread. And it was this old ad copy that they released this year for putting out a spread at your holiday party. And it was like, you literally use super spreader and you're uh, like telling people to have parties. It's kind of a bad look. And it's funny, too, because then Giant's response was like, totally just like a click and drag of last year's uh, uh, holiday based copy. Yeah. Sorry, fuck, and like, but it's that corporate cluelessness where it's like, yeah, boom, boom, yep. where you might end up having a tour guy being like, yeah, toxic chemicals solving world's hunger. Come on in, <laughs> like that's, it's so. I love that. I, oh, I just, I will never not enjoy corporate cluelessness and their 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 pretend niceness uh, being mocked. Did that scene remind you of the ten? Do you know what I'm talking about in the ten? Remember that movie? I remember the 10, which segment? So in one of the segments, there's like a, like a group of children being toured through like a nuclear facility that like goes into meltdown. Yeah. Like while they're there, uh, for some reason, like as the scene was unfolding where they're getting toured around and the guy is like telling them about all the toxic chemicals using his stuff. I literally was like, is this what that is? Did, like, it might be. Is this like something that like just stuck in David Wayne's brain like all these years? And he was like, <laughs> that's just like a really funny, weird premise for like a scene, you know? Like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, why, I would. I'm positive that David Wayne has seen The Omen, too. Right. Yeah. You know, I, why wouldn't it be something about even the way the camera like tracked through it and stuff? I was like, this is just like that scene in the 10. It's like it's like the same thing. If I remember correctly, was that the one? 
that was ultimately solved because Joe Lotruglio yes. and Liev Schreiber's competing like uh, uh, X-ray machine collections yes. yep. were able to help the kids. Yeah. Well, but the punchline is that they both have abandoned their homes to go to the bar and drink only to be at the bar while on the news. They see that these kids desperately need their machines, but their machines are locked inside their homes and they're not at their homes. That is dark and I love it. Oh, that's amazing. That's so funny. That's the best segment in that movie. That Joe Trulio and uh, Leo Schreiber segment. It's so funny. It's like, what does he say? Like, uh. He, he well, he's like, I gotta get, get some fast food, Wandy's, yeah. Burger King, or something. Like that. And he's like, You want to go to see what you're doing? Yeah, I see what you're doing. Make little little changes to the popular food chains, McDonald's. Well, the, the way he says it, though, is like, like they're about to fight. He's like, Yeah, I know what you're doing. Yeah, little uh, changes to the uh, you know, fast food things. That he's like, Yeah, he's like, Yeah, I love it. Yeah, I really do love it. Yeah. <laughs> so good. You want to go to McDonald's? <laughs> Maybe down to Boo Burger King. <laughs> that was in Boo Burger King. <laughs> but yeah, oh, I love it. Yeah. I really do love it. <laughs> Jello Truly was so good. The so best, good. the best part of that segment, and I'm sorry that I think this is so funny, but it is, uh, is when Leah Schreiber is on the phone ordering his like 35th like uh, X-ray machine or whatever, and his wife walks up to him, just desperate, like, "Oh, honey, please, you can't," and he just. Out thinking totally coldly turns and karate chops her in the neck. (laughs) She just falls like a sack of potatoes to the ground. And he just, with no emotion, looks down at the ground and goes, oh, I'm sorry, honey. I didn't see you there. (laughs) Man, Liam Schreiber is a very, uh, very uh, unsung comedian. When he's funny, he's funny, man. man. He's great. That is such a funny physical comedy gag. I'm so sorry that I think that's so funny, but it's yeah, well, it's supposed to be funny. Don't worry, yeah. you're good. <laughs> you're good. Um, let's see. Do I have anything else? The Crow. Um, yeah, Bobo Tim Robbins. That was Paul. It's funny. My very first note that I made, like five minutes into it, I said, "I love when a classy horror movie gets a B movie sequel." Down to the directing, it's just shaggier all over, and I love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, and I think agreed. that's really what it is. It's yep. it's just shaggy. It plays with the mythology well enough. Yeah. And I think that it really does get a lot of mileage on the uh, performances. It, it really across mm-hmm. the board. I was super impressed. Everybody shows up and, and everyone's really good. It just really good across the board. The kid- Not a single person did I go, oh, there's your B-movie performance. It was just... Right. You know, it's, it, everyone was really giving it their all. And he, even the filmmaking is like doing its best to try and bring some of that, like uh, the kind of like, I don't know, I guess like grandeur that I think Donner does bring to the original. Mm-hmm. It, it is really trying. I think it, you know, it, I, I do think it's like pretty clearly inhibited by a smaller budget, but it, it's trying very hard to like evoke that same kind of grandeur. Um and uh, yeah, I, you know, overall, I guess I was impressed with it kind of like for what it was. I will say the other thing is it does make me excited to watch more of them. You know, it's like, yes, it's it's a good enough sequel that it's like, yeah, I want to see what happens to Damien. Like, I want to follow mm-hmm. the story as he continues ascending to potentially ruling over the apocalypse. You know, like, yeah, that's that's I want to know how this ends. Like, yeah, I want to yeah. know. Um, and, and that's something that I think is like is is hard to do, like. You know, I would imagine, I'm guessing, that the original Omen had no sequels intended. Right. And so it ends on a, man, this kid's going to be unstoppable. Right. And so naturally you have to lose a little bit of that magic if you're going to tell the story. But if it's done right, 
you know, I, I think that it's it's often transcendent if you can figure that out. Whether it happens or not, I don't know, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, the comparison I'm about to make, I think you'll love. Uh, have you seen The Box? Yeah. Okay, so yeah, what Kelly I love movie. about The yeah. Box, yeah, the Richard Kelly movie uh, based on the Matheson story, I yep. believe. And in the original story, the whole thing is there is no decision being made. Right. There is no why behind it. It's just an exploration of that ethical quandary. You, dear reader, could you, would you, should you press the button? Right. And so that's where it leaves it. And so then I love that the movie says, all right, well, that's that's whatever. We can have that. But let's also see what happens if you press the button. And let's also figure out why this whole button exists. Yeah, yeah. And they come up with and the adventure that it goes on i think are satisfactory to to validate going beyond that original hook right um i think brilliantly so that movie is very underrated i need to rewatch that i haven't seen it like pretty much you since are it came going out. and i did like love it, it. yeah i did it like it i remember liking so it. so much going for it yeah it's just like the idea of like yeah not only am i gonna you know, show you what happens if you press the button. I'm going to show you who made the button, why they made the button, and why it's fucked up that you press the button. You're like, that's, uh-huh. But it still has that thematic. Like, I still leave it wondering, do I press the button? So I think right. it holds on to that. Yeah. And so I think that that this is a similar case to that, where it's like, yeah, the, the, the fear is not what happens. It's that, oh, shit, the evil's out there, and it's happening, and we can't stop it. Right. But if you're going to make a sequel and you have to show the evil growing and happening, this is a really, really, really great way to go about it that I don't think undercuts the first one like that. Yeah. You know, if you're going to give me more of this story of the ascendance of, of the Antichrist, then this is a great starting point to do that with. Yeah, I agree. That, it, yeah. And it, you know, just the idea that I still am interested in more Omen movies is like a pretty good like, all right, cool. That was a good sequel. Yeah. I went from not being really interested in any of them to now the first one's an all-time favorite. This is like an unsung, this is like a Psycho 2 level enjoyment for me where I go, shit, man. That's great. I, the first one's the masterpiece, but if you slap them down on the table, I'm going to pick the second one <laughs> every time. That's the one I want to watch. It's just, I mean, it's, the elevator kill is pretty worthwhile. Just that just that nuts. Yeah. The lady getting her eyes pecked out and then run that's over true. by a big rig you know is what? insane. That is. I mean, it's insane in a way that's like a little bit silly by the way she gets like hit by that. So, yeah. But the, the actual um, her getting pecked out by the crow is pretty brutal and like looks pretty good. Is like pretty wild. There's a part where it shows like a puppetized talon yeah. grabbing hair and pulling on it. Yes. And it was like, what an interesting choice for a close up when this is like what uh, what Jesse was talking about last week. Yeah. A lot of that could have been done with just, you know, tie a crow to her wig and then have her flail around, you know? Yeah. And, uh, but man, that was, yeah. Ooh. I'm looking up the directors now because there's two directors. Oh, interesting. The, cr- the credited director is Don Taylor. Okay. And what he is most known for is Stalag 17 from 1953. Don't know that. But the next two, uh, he did Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. So another oddball sequel. sequel. Yep. Uh, he did The Island of Dr. Moreau in like 1977. Okay, that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So those are like his main ones. But scrolling through, there's really... Oh, he did The Final Countdown. That's like a a disappearing... Uh, yeah, it's a Philadelphia uh, experiment, basically, right? Yes, yeah, yeah. Um, which I've never seen. He has a movie called The Promise of Love that I'm only mentioning because it stars Craig T. Nelson. Hell yeah. Um, Coach. But yeah, there's like nothing that really stands out beyond that, like episodes of the Mod Squad. Yeah. 
uh, it takes a thief. Mannix. He did some Mannix. Hell yeah. Um, but the other guy, uncredited director, is Mike Hodges. Mike Hodges, who did Flash Gordon, Get Carter, Black Rainbow, which I recently saw for the first time, and it fucking rocks. That's good. Uh, Black Rainbow rocks, yeah. Okay. Um, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is, but it, it, uh, knowing that he directed the Omen 2 makes sense. Yeah, 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 okay. Uh, the Terminal Man did that, oh, yeah, um, yeah. did some Queen music videos, uh, anything else? Oh, The Hitchhiker. Oh, wow. So wait, and he's an uncredited director on this movie? What uncredited did you say? director. Interesting. Yeah. I wonder what the story is there. Get Carter, uh, Black Rainbow... Oh well, you know what he he wrote it, mm, so that's probably how he probably jumped in. So the writers are uh, so based on characters by David Seltzer. So he did yep. the the Omen. Um, story is by Harvey Bernhard. Oh yeah, I think he's a producer on it too. He's a, he's a producer. He did like Lost Boys and Lady Hawk. Yep. Um, and Stanley Mann wrote the screenplay. Oh shit, he wrote Conan. And Firestarter. Oh. Okay, so this has like a weird, like, cool collection of, of things that all make sense. Yeah. You know, nice. I love it. I yeah, this is fun. I mean, I'm excited that uh, this means, I guess, you know, I, I don't know if it's necessarily our next episode or not yet, but uh, I'm excited that this means we are at least going to do that third one with uh, with our boy, uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Sam Neill. Yeah, Sam Neill. Samuel uh, Nielsen. This one, so that one's from 1981, and yep. it's called The Omen, The Final Conflict, and Final it has conflict. the tagline of the last chapter in the Omen trilogy. Yeah. And um, then the next one is called Omen for The Awakening. <laughs> okay, cool, cool. I didn't know there was a fourth one. That's interesting. It's from 1991. It is unrated. Probably so TV. I imagine it's made for TV. And the plot is, according to IMDb, two attorneys adopt a mysterious orphan girl as their daughter, unaware that she is the new Antichrist, next in line from Damien Thorne. Interesting. Okay. So it's like barely, sort of a barely connected. Yeah, like a jump off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we should do it. After watching A Stranger Calls Back, uh, any made for TV late in the game sequels, Yep. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Oh, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, the final conflict, which is Omen 3, which actually the title of it seems to just be The Final Conflict. I think so, yeah. Uh, the now adult Antichrist plots to eliminate his, his future divine opponent while a cabal of monks plot to stop him. Hell yeah, sounds awesome. I kind of remember this movie. This, I've, I've seen all three of these, uh, like, you know, on a TBS marathon when I was a kid. Yeah, that's the way to do it. Yeah, I I had never seen any. I I had seen a lot of the footage from The Omen throughout my life, but I had never seen it. Two, I was completely in the dark about a couple shots in two, like looked familiar. And I went, oh, maybe I saw that in GIF form. Sure. Something like that. Um, Yeah, the guy who did three, the only notable thing in his filmography I can find is a movie that I hear is good, but I've never seen Alien Nation. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Graham Baker. And then. The writer, ooh, the writer looks like an insane person. <laughs> and his, oh, look at that. His name's Andrew Birkin. And yeah. he wrote the script for that movie Perfume that was based oh, on yeah. that book. Yep. I've never seen that movie. I hear it's great. But that book is fucking mental. 
Yeah, that, I mean, that movie is pretty wild. I, I imagine we're both thinking of how it ends. Yes, yep, yep. <laughs> Fuck, man, that, was, uh, yep. that book was nuts. Yeah, he has no real writing credits that, uh, that jump out, but he looks, I don't know if this is seeable. There we oh, go. Oh, yeah, yep, I see him now. <laughs> he wrote the, the Omen 3. Wow. Be, because of the way, you know, the light from a phone works, trying to get that into the computer, he literally yeah. app, apparated onto my screen. He, <laughs> yeah, he just like <laughs> looks like a skeleton, man. Oh, it's funny. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I would say overall. Oh, and, and also uh, very prominently featured on the poster of, of Omen 3 is music by Jerry Goldsmith. Yes. Awesome. So you know that you're getting Great. deep into it when that's the... I, I mean, I have grown to really love Jerry Goldsmith as a composer, uh, especially yeah, over the last year. I've, I've happened to have just watched a bunch of movies that he composed the music for, and it always sounds like cocaine is making music when Jerry yeah. Goldsmith is on the score, and I really enjoy that. <laughs> Might have been the case. Yeah. I um, That was something when we went through all the Friday the 13th movies, which look amazing on the Blu-ray. Oh, I bet, uh, buddy. Yeah. Uh, one of the fun things was uh, uh, following Harry Manfredini. He stays yes. with that series throughout almost the whole thing. Yep. And like he dips out of it for a second and comes back. Uh, but uh, those scores are absolutely fantastic. They're great. And uh, and it's just funny to like, that's a name that I just kind of like never thought of. And like Goldsmith, it's like, oh yeah, he did the score for fucking everything. Yep. Uh, man. But yeah, I, I, I am very excited to listen to that score. Hey, real quick, let's touch base about uh, When a Stranger Calls Back. So you, you did enjoy it. Did you enjoy it as much as I did? I overpromise on that one. No, it was fantastic. Yeah. I thought that that opening scene was amazing. I Dude, love Jill Sholin. She's yep. just the best. She's never, yep. and, and then uh, I like the idea of Carol Kane, uh, whose family has just gone now. We don't worry about yes. that anymore. Yep. Yep. Um, but I like the idea of using it as like, oh, she's now this counselor is going to help her. Yep. That's like super cool. Yep. Um, their reason for bringing Charles Durning back was yeah. weak. Yes. But don't care. Doesn't nope. matter. He's um, so charming in that role. And he and Carol Kane's relationship in that movie adorable. is so great. And it like, I really like that. Like for like literally like an hour of that movie, they just take very seriously the idea that like Joel Schoen has been like traumatized by this. Yeah. And, like, you know, needs help readjusting to get back. Into it's very life. weird how contemporary contemporary the conversation around trauma recovery was yes. in this old made for tv schlock fest agreed uh, and and i was very impressed by that because i was like man this actually like kind of checks all the boxes and accidentally so yep. um but spoiler alert for anyone listening the way that it handles how ventriloquists <laughs> do what they do yes um is just a total fabrication yep it's totally that is not how that works at all yep at all there's nothing about that that works. Nope. The term throwing one vo- one's voice is a playful term. Uh, there's absolutely no way to make your voice come out of any other area than your mouth, which is why it's essential the puppet sits directly next to you. Here's here's what's so funny about this. is That blew I, my mind. There is an episode of Scooby-Doo, and the only reason I know this is because I very distinctly remember that the premise of this Scooby-Doo episode was that Shaggy and Scooby got out of a hiding place by Shaggy throwing his voice to a different side of the room. Yeah. So that like the, you know, the spooky ghost went that way instead of where they were and they could escape. And for some reason that stuck with me. I've always remembered that. And so when, when I'm watching when a stranger calls back, it's like either it took its premise from a Scooby-Doo cartoon or I was, or this is one of the cart, the Scooby-Doo cartoons from like the nineties. And it is based on this premise. 
It's one or the other. I can actually hit you with more. I think it's more than that. Yeah. Because I remember watching a as a little kid watching a, uh, a Looney Tunes episode where this dog had like oh no sorry it was a cat that had a voice throwing like whistle kind of thing that okay. it got out of a catalog and I remember looking for that as a kid yeah, thinking yeah. it was real yep. and it had a voice thrower that it used to pull a prank on a dog haha ha. cat's over here dog runs over there he pulls his pants down I don't know something like that but when I, I had a mass media class in high school and in it, we had to make our own radio show. Mm-hmm. And so in class, we listened to an episode of the shadow mm. and in the shadow, uh, the shadow was able to foil a bad guy and get him to exit his hiding place in the sewers by throwing his voice and tricking him oh, wow, to, yeah. you know, to do that kind of thing. And it was one of the things that like shadow, how did you do it? He's like, why I am a trained ventriloquist and I know how to throw my voice. And I remember even in high school, like everyone in class just being like, you know, like yep. rolling their eyes at it. But uh, so it's like definitely a classic device. But I'm it's like uh, fascinated by that idea. But I, I like it in the movie, actually. It, it is it totally like, works. It's so fun and funny that the movie becomes a slasher about like a supernatural ventriloquist, basically. And and well, also it's about the calls, right? And so the idea that he can throw his voice actually kind of plays into that these have always been this kind of like aural terror, you know? And it, it helps it that opening scene, the phone isn't used. The phone's right. out the entire time. Which I also really liked that she being scared would just lie that she made the call, even though that's right. the bad news. But I can totally see a kid just doing that, or even when she's like just pantomiming into the phone. I can imagine being so something like that. But uh, yeah, I like that that by the the voice throwing thing allowed them to do uh, the same sort of gag again, but without having it just be more calls. Yes, and and I like too that uh, that uh, I lost my train of thought on it. Never mind. Oh, sorry, it's all right. No, no, it's all good. I that that was my fault. It's 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 been a, a long week. My brain yes, is, it's all right. is empty. It's all right. I'm glad um, you liked it as much as you did because I think that I is really, a, it's so much fun. I know it's like it is such a surprisingly like I think it might be better than the original one just because it is I so certainly much enjoyed fun. it more. I, I yeah. ranked them about the same but like that one I certainly enjoyed more. It's much more lively. Yes. Um, And and it's kind of more slashery when it gets into yes. the slashery Agreed. elements. You yep. know and, and I, that's kind of fun too. Yep. Um, And I, and it gives Carol Kane more to do. Yep. Um, and she's great. So that's like, and she's great in it. Um, and, and what's weird is that does still feel like the same character. Yes. You know, I liked imagining like, you know, she used to be going out to fancy dinners at a fancy restaurant with her husband. Right. And now she's someone who's clearly been re-traumatized to the point that family's not the thing. And she's just yeah. like working lady now, but like, no, knows her shit. Like yes. she, yes. you know, she knows how to do it. It, it was cool. It's really um, cool. Yeah. I, I just had such a blast watching it. How much does that opening scene really feel like, oh, this is like Scream, basically. This is like Scream, exactly like Scream, you know, yeah, like a prequel to Scream, kind of. And actually, the, the voice throwing thing is kind of connected to something like Scream in yes. that Scream makes the joke that, like, in the third movie, the killer kind of gets supernatural. Right. And if you remember in Scream 3, he has a voice changer that can make him sound exactly like anybody. Yep. That's as impossible as a voice thrower. Yes. Um, but it's the kind of thing that you go with because it's just it's true to that form in a way. I, I don't know. Yeah. And so in that respect, the voice flaring thing, like I rolled my eyes and then I got 
excited. You know, it's, 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 it's fun. It is, it's that it's that thing of like, it's so funny that I'm like criticizing like Omen 2 and then going like, yeah, but when a stranger calls back, does it? But it is that fun yeah, thing. It's a matter like, of tone. Yeah, it is. It is. But it, it, it is that thing of like, it's leveling up in a way that is like, oh, this is what I want out of this. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm glad that this is where we are, that we've gone to just like totally bonkers territory. I think that's really what what made two Omen two work for me yeah. is that very early on it clicked like okay we're playing we're playing horror sequel game yeah yep yeah, yep yeah. I'm in you know and yeah. and I appreciate it because if it tried to do the first one again it probably would seem weaker whereas this so. one it's like nah it's just it's literally just aping the style to serve up something different right yeah and, and I'm into it and essentially that's the, to compare it to Stranger Calls Back that's what that's doing too yeah. it is the same thing it does follow that weird three act strange yep. structure but it is in service of a new idea and yeah. you know and, and it even plays with the idea of what does it mean to call like oh i call upon you at your house right yeah and that's cool so yeah yeah you know. i agree yeah cool oh i'm glad you like that so much and i would say in the omen too there's actually more things in it that i would think of as omens Oh, interesting. I hadn't even thought about that. Concept, you know what I mean? Actually. Yes. Because, like, I guess the drawing on the wall, the literal writing on the wall is probably the most pure omen. Yep. Like, ominous things happen in the first omen, like the maid killing herself yeah, and yeah. things like that, or the dog showing up. Yeah. But, like, in the omen, too, it, like, it, it, the MacGuffin of it all is like a literal omen. Omen. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I guess maybe you could say the first one, the the sort of discovery of the 666 on his body is maybe meant to be yeah. the omen of the title. But I, li- I like what you're saying that like the sequel comes up with its own kind of omen, you know, like mm-hmm. it doesn't just like uh, it doesn't, you know, I don't know, just like rely on <laughs> on that original omen. Although that, that yeah, does make the it omen weird. one is a much more ominous movie. Yeah, but Omen Two just has omens coming out of the woodwork. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. like every angle, like you yeah. know what that picture means. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I loved it, man. I, I just, I cannot wait to watch more omens. I'm I, uh, I cannot wait for the stranger to call back a third time if he's so inclined <laughs> to do so. I know. It I is, think there is a remake uh, yeah. of that. Oh, there, there is a remake. Um, I saw it in the theater actually. Oh. Um, it's and it was it. just of the glut of like PG. Um, I remember it being like whatever, but it is a Simon West movie. If that does oh, something for you, if that yeah, scratches your balls a little, yeah, a little bit. Um, but that's that's all I got. I think that's the end of of Stranger Calls media. Yeah, 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 probably. Uh, l- l- let's wrap this up. There's Strange Wilderness, and there's When Nature Calls. That's sort yeah. of like, but that's all I got. That's kind of fun. Yeah, it would be, it would be <laughs> fun it. to do a mar- it would be fun to do a marathon where that was how you sort of like ended it was being like the double feature of Strange Wilderness and uh, you know I mean yeah I I watched those movies yeah. I'll tell you what just uh like the other night uh just had like a lot of shit going on at night and I was like and it was the the day after I finally got my TV installed yeah and I was like I, I just want to test it out but I don't want to pay attention to anything and I just put on Coneheads yeah. Not only is that movie fucking crazy hilarious, uh-huh. but I was amazed at how well all of the stupid effects really held up. And I'm watching it in like a 4K stream, and I'm like, right. this is a beautiful and really uh-huh. stupid movie. It was, it was quite delightful. That's fun. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's let's plug things and and wrap up this here podcast. Let's do it. Uh, uh, I'm at Dan Scully on all the things. Uh, Cinema76.com, Findy.com. You can check out my silly show, uh, Hot Property. Um, and uh, as always, you can uh, 
Find us at I Like Two Movie on all of the stuff. Uh, check out our YouTube channel as well. And uh, send us an email. Get in contact with us. We've got an episode coming up that was inspired by a listener recommendation. Yeah. And the next listener rec- recommendation could be you. <laughs> so, And once again, we keep saying it. One day we're going to do Patreon stuff. It's just yeah. this whole pandemic thing really uh, derailed that. Sure did. Sure did. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and uh, Letterbox at Philadelphia. It's with an F uh, right for Cinema76.com. And uh, yeah, you know, find the podcast everywhere that Dan said. Uh, my name is Gar Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. We all know that you like to movie movie because we, we like